This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. This is Soul School, Lesson 134, Max, King of the Wild Things. Today I'm going to be sharing with you one of my favorite books since I was a very little girl, which is a classic, Where the Wild Things Are, Story and Pictures by Maurice Sendak. A lot of you are familiar with this book, and some in a new generation might not be as familiar But for me, it was a pivotal book in helping me understand some of the out-of-control feelings I felt as a little kid and helping me become brave about them. It was also one of the first picture books that really inspired me with the kind of illustrations that Marie Sendek created in the book. And I'm going to read it today. I'm also going to explain some of the concepts of the book as as I have come to understand them, maybe not as they were intended, but as they have spoken to me. So as I read them, I will also explain a little bit too. And I hope that this brings you some joy of childhood again, and maybe inspires you to live a braver life and to be brave about some of the monstrous or beastly feelings that are inside where your wild things are. On the first page, There's an illustration of a boy in a white animal suit, and he is standing on two books with a huge hammer in his right hand and a big nail in his left hand, and he is pounding something. He's pounding the nail into the wall, and he's created a big gouge in the wall and a crack down it. He's making a tent fort. On the other side of the fort is his teddy bear strung up by the arm on a hanger. And he has an angry look on his face, an upset look on his face. And it begins this way. The night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another. His mother called him Wild Thing, and Max said, I'll eat you up. So he was sent to bed without eating anything. That very night, in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around. And an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max and he sailed off through night and day. And in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are. And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth, and rolled their terrible eyes, and showed their terrible claws. Till Max said, be still, and tamed them with the magic trick of staring into all their yellow eyes without blinking once, and they were frightened and called him the most wild thing of all, and made him king of all the wild things. And now, cried Max. Let the wild rumpus start. The next page has four monsters howling and jumping at the moon and Max howling. The next page has four monsters hanging from trees and Max hanging from a tree too. The next page has a parade of five monsters 
with Max on one of their shoulders carrying a king's scepter and wearing a crown. The next page has three sleeping monsters and Max with a lonely look on his face sitting on a stool inside a little tent. Now stop, said Max, and sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. And Max, the king of all the wild things, was lonely and wanted to be where someone loved him best of all. Then all around, from far away across the world, he smelled good things to eat. So he gave up being the king of where the wild things are. But the wild things cried, Oh, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. And Max said, No. The wild things roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. But Max stepped into his private boat and waved goodbye and sailed back over a year and in and out of weeks and through a day. And right into the night of his very own room where he found his supper waiting for him and it was still hot. There's something so magical about this book and it's set up in sort of a chiastic structure of a going away and returning, kind of like a prodigal son story too. And I just wanted to pull out a few things for reflection because this is what makes it meaningful for me and the child in me as an adult looking back on it for wisdom. As Max is making mischief in the beginning of the book, he's also chasing his dog who has a worried look on his face. He's chasing his dog, jumping down the stairs, and he has a fork in his hand. And when Max gets sent to his room, he has a really angry look on his face. And as he starts to imagine in his room, and his room is beginning to turn into a forest, Maurice Sendek has started to change the room to have trees growing up and grass growing up and vines as it's changing in Max's imagination to another place. And the moon appears, and there's a picture of Max starting to howl at the moon and, and look at it and go into his own imagination, into his own world. And I sense that Max is dealing with his own difficult feelings and the wildness of himself within. And what I like about this book is it provides a way for us, a kind of pathway or modeling of how we can deal with our own beastly feelings or our own wild feelings without turning them on to someone else. We can go into our interior world and become the king of them. And so Max sails away on his private boat and he does it for a long time in his interior world, almost a year, in and out of days and weeks. And his boat that he's riding on says Max right on the side. And the look on Max's face in this picture is just pure contentment and happiness. And then the next picture is there's a sea monster. And it comes up and it has a smoke puffed at him. And Max looks a little scared. So there's this unknown factor in the interior world that Max is traveling in. He's never really gone this deep in before. Although he has moments of contentment searching within, there's also this unknown element of these monsters that he's going to encounter. And then he comes to an island, he has a really grumpy look on his face, 
and all these monsters seem very excited to see him, but they look really fierce. Their eyes are yellow, they have huge claws, some of them have horns, and they seem to be a conglomeration of different animals put together. Monsters with fangs and hair, but also have duck feet, or really long hair, and human-like noses, horns on their noses some of them have. They're all different looking. One looks like a goat, a little goat. They're looking very wild and they're much, much bigger than him. And then the next picture where he says, be still, he has his hands up and he's looking determined and brave and they all look worried and concerned, almost like one of them is hiding and he is brave with them. And he says, be still, and he stares into their yellow eyes without blinking once. And for me as a little kid, this really represented for me in some way that it is possible to have control over yourself and to bring comfort to yourself and to say, be still to those raging waters inside and to those monsters within, the things that are discomforting. I found great solace in this as a little kid. It touched me even then that Max could control these monsters, even though he was just a little boy, and they were so much bigger than him. And I remember being really delighted when he, when I thought he could have been eaten up, he actually became their king. And they respected him, and they, they bow before him, and they give him a scepter, and he commands them, but he doesn't do mean things to them. He commands them to have a party. And then they start howling at the moon. They start swinging on trees and having a parade and a wild rumpus. And he's really a fun king. And he decides to rule this world with goodness. And he decides to turn things around. That's another thing I appreciate looking at this book now with adult wisdom, that you can redeem the darkest feelings and you can turn things around and you can say, be still to the inner world. But what's also interesting about this is this line right here. After they've played and had their fun and partied and held at the moon, Max has reached a point where he's had enough and he says, now stop. And he sends the wild things off to bed without their supper, which is interesting because the wild things haven't done anything wrong. They've just obeyed him but it starts to harken back to his own story in the exterior world. And he's starting to feel lonely. And the line says, Max, the king of all the wild things, was lonely and wanted to be where someone loved him best of all, which it seems like that's where he is right now. All the monsters love him best of all, and they've made him their king. But it's really not the same thing because he's in his inner world. So he needs his exterior world which he knows that his mother loves him best of all. And his inner world is not completely satisfying. He can't just stay there. There has to be an exterior element. There has to be a return. And this is the prodigal part that is very touching to me. And he decides, even though he has, in a sense, everything he wants, it doesn't complete him until another person is reached, until he goes home and things are made right at home. So at this point where he realizes his loneliness and realizes incompleteness, though he's conquered this world inside, 
he starts to smell something from across the world, way across the world, somewhere outside of his imagination in his deep inner world. And he gives up his imaginary world. He gives up his interior world to come back outside again. And I think this is also very brave of Max because he could stay where he's completely in charge, but he goes back and he risks being in a place where his mother's in charge, but loves him. When he gives up being the king of the wild things, the monsters, the beasts, the wild things are really upset. And they say, oh, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. And that's another really interesting line. There's this sort of self-devouring, ingrown quality when we are the beginning and the end of our main focus. When we are the center of our lives, we will be eaten up by ourselves. That self-love doesn't end well. We are eaten by it. But Max says no. And then they let out their primal scream. They have their last hurrah. And they roar their terrible roars, gnash their terrible teeth, roll their terrible eyes, and show their terrible claws in this last burst of trying to keep him. But it doesn't matter. He still steps into his boat, and he waves goodbye. He tries to leave on good terms. And then there's the long voyage back home. It takes over a year, in and out of weeks, and he comes back. But when he comes back, he's been provided for. The picture shows Max with his wolf suit, with his head revealed. His ears are down, and the head part of the wolf suit's down. And you see his full face for the first time. You see that he has a lot of hair, and he looks a little tired but relieved. And on his table is, is some cake, looks like a glass of milk, and maybe a bowl of soup or stew. And he's happy, has a smile on his face, and he's relieved to be home. And outside his window is the moon, and it's the same night, and supper's waiting for him. And then the last page is just on white. No illustrations at all, and it says, and it was still hot. And so here we realize that really no time has gone by at all, hardly any time. He was sent to his room. He went deep into his inner world, into his imagination. He confronted the beastly things about him. He was brave, encountered them, dealt with them as they were, became their king, and then left them behind and was able to reconcile that and come back and was provided for. It's a really beautiful picture, I think, in a prodigal son story of divine love. Now, I don't suggest for a moment that Maurice Sandek meant that. <laughs> I think he was an atheist. He's spoken about this book and says that this was nothing like his real home life, and he cleaned up the story and made it a happy ending, even though his childhood was very difficult and pretty horrible. But I think he knew that children need to hear stories like this, that coming home can be good and that we can be brave and encounter wild things and be victorious. So this is just a book that has been ever close to my heart. And really, from this very early inspirational book that touched me when I was three and four years old, I have kept this as a kind of theme in my life. And I'm writing a book about this interior world right now. And it's going out to publishers in book proposal form at the moment. 
and I don't know what will happen to it, if it'll get picked up or not. I'm not sure yet. And I will be sure to inform you if and when it does, hopefully when it does. And then we'll see, hopefully, this come to fruition, this very long, over 40-year journey of this story of the inner life and the inner world and the wild things. And so today on Soul School, as I sometimes do, I give out homework. And today my homework is for you to look inside your inner world, the place that may contain wild things, and think about your childhood and some of the earliest things you feared. Maybe it was a, being abandoned by a parent or something out of control happening, or being afraid of the dark or the unknown. And just go back and recall when you were three, four, five, six, seven, what were some of the early things that you feared maybe of yourself and those feelings of anger that would come up or being frightened. See if there's some way that you can, even now looking back in your adult mind, but going back into your childhood frailty and somehow becoming king of those wild things by staring into their yellow eyes and not blinking once, even though you can be shown their terrible claws and their terrible teeth and their terrible yellow eyes. I think the Holy Spirit is there deep within us in that place where those wild things are to give us the courage to do that. I thank you so much for listening to this episode today, and I ask that you will please share it. There is an opportunity to support this podcast, and I desperately need your support. I ask that you will go to that place right now online patreon.com forward slash spark my muse patreon is like patron with an e and when you go to patreon.com forward slash spark my muse and you sponsor for just a dollar a month you get to unlock a lot of posts there's over 200 posts that you can unlock and read them and get a lot of extras to other episodes and many other extras i put there including resources and short books that i've published on there and if you support at $5 a month, you also get videos, photos, and many other extras that are special bonus things that are for higher level subscribers. And that makes a really big difference because it's expensive for me to produce this show and house the media. So join me next week for another episode and may your day be blessed.